most of us here are well acquainted with uh, with the book of Job. Um, but for the sake of those who perhaps don't know what the book of Job is about, the book of Job is about a man who uh, underwent uh, a deep, deep tribulation in his life. And part of the the what happens throughout the book of Job is that we find these discourses, these conversations between Job and his friends. His, his friends uh, are trying to make sense of the, the suffering that Job is going through. And very often, or always, they, these friends are mistaken. They are wrong. They believe that suffering... In this case, particularly suffering in general, in this case, the suffering that Job is undergoing is a suffering that is caused by his sin, by his uh, unbelief, by his guilt. And that's what so often in the, in the series of, the, of these courses that happen throughout the book of Job, uh, um, we find this common uh, recurring uh, motif that they are telling him that he needs to repent, that he needs to, to, to be penitent because of his sin. And that when he does so, when he truly repents of his sin, that the Lord will remove the sorrow, the sorrow that he is going through, that he will surely be delivered. And they're mistaken because, as we know from... And the friends, and even Job doesn't know, but we know because we have it uh, recorded for us, the reason for Job's suffering is not because of his sin. It's because of a, a conversation that happened between uh, the accuser, between the devil, and God in heavens, in the heavens. So the, these friends are indeed mistaken. And this passage that we have in front of us is, perhaps I think, I think it's the last time that Eliphaz, uh, the last words that Eliphaz, one of his friends, speaks to Job. And it is indeed a very eloquent appeal. Eliphaz is sure that Job desperately needs to repent and to submit to God, to listen to God's instruction, to turn from his wickedness, he says. Eliphaz assures Job that once you do this, once you truly do this, you will find that you will receive all the blessings from Almighty God. That Job will have the joy of seeing God's face. The blessing of having his prayers answered. Of seeing his plans being fulfilled. And even in verse 30, of being a benefactor to others. In a sense, in the sense in which the speaker, Eliphaz, is speaking these words, they are not true. These words are not true. Because for Eliphaz, as he's saying them, it means more than uh, uh, what so many people in the world believe, that it pays to be religious. If only you're religious, good things will come about. That's basically what Eliphaz is saying to Job. We don't really know from the, from the book of Job how El, uh, Eliphaz was acquainted, how, how acquainted Eliphaz was with God. The whole meaning of this text coming from the lips of, of Eliphaz is very poor. It's very self-serving. It's very selfish. Because he, the peace he here promises in verse 21 is nothing but just outward peace. 
He's looking at his friend Job, going through all of that sorrow and suffering, and he's saying, wow, if only you repent, you will find peace outwardly. And the good that he speaks of here is nothing more than just uh, worldly prosperity. And this is the meaning of our text as it stands in its context. But I believe that although Eliphaz spoke these words uh, mistakenly or misapplying them, nonetheless, they are true. They are true that if we acquaint, and that's the verse for, my verse for this evening, that if we acquaint ourselves with him and be at peace, thereby good will come to you. There is certainly a sense in, in, in these words that they are true. Not in the sense that Eliphaz spoke them, but in the sense that the rest of Scripture speaks. Acquaint yourself with God, and you will be at peace, and good will come. So therefore, today we will consider the, the words from verse 21 in four points. First, what it means to be acquainted with God and our need to be acquainted with God. Secondly, what are the means of us being acquainted with God? Thirdly, the happy results of this acquaintance. And fourthly, and lastly, when the season for this acquaintance? When should we acquaint ourselves with God? So firstly, the nature of acquaintance with God. This is a very uh, uh, used word in our society. But even just before the service, I was talking with, with, with someone. And um, it is a word that needs to be defined. Because nowadays we say, oh, I, I, that's so-and-so, he's, he's an acquaintance of mine. And when we say that, it kind of means, oh, Someone I know, someone I've crossed paths with, someone I go to school with, someone I work with, but not someone that I'm overly familiar with. Funnily enough, ironically enough, the meaning of this word originally is the meaning of being familiar. It's to be acquainted with something is to be familiar with something, to be uh, intimate with something. We still use it in that sense. I'm acquainted with the, with the rules and regulations. There was a, a time not too long ago that we were, had to be acquainted with the rules uh, regarding COVID guidelines. And when we said that, it meant that we knew what the rules said, that we had studied them, that we were familiar with them. So when the scripture here talks about acquainting oneself with God, it's not only speaking of a, a kind of outward, superficial uh, knowledge but it's speaking of much more a deep, familiar, intimate knowledge because at the heart of the, the problem of mankind is that we are all strangers we are all estranged to God, from God and to God we do not know him we have heard of God most of us here in this room all of us in this room have heard of God you go out on the streets and you ask if people have heard of God. They heard of God. But you really cannot say that all those people who have heard of God, that they are acquainted with God or that they know God. Many people have spoken of God, taken his name in vain. But at, alas, 
that to those people God remains unknown, the true God. Because natural man, natural man in himself cannot form a definite, true uh, picture, uh, an idea of God. And so the advice given to us in this passage is a very important one. It's a very timely one. We need to acquaint ourselves with God. We need to know God. It directs us to God, to the almighty God. To the God who, who has been offended by our sins. And it's very much our sins that have estranged us from God. Because we've sinned, we've become strangers to God. God has pledged to punish sinners. Those who are impenitent transgressors. We read in Psalm 55, verse 15, that let, let death seize them. Let them go down alive into hell, for wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. And in, in Psalm 101, verse 4, we read, A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not know wickedness. So when we read this, acquaint yourself with God, this need that we have to acquaint ourselves with God, it also informs us that there is a need for repentance. The, the very reason why we are estranged from God, the very reason why we are enemies with God is because of our sin. And when it says here, acquaint yourself with God, it is in this, indeed a, a call to repent, a call to turn from our wicked ways, to seek and to obtain His forgiving, His forgiveness. And how ready he is to forgive. But I get ahead of myself. What does it mean then to be acquainted? It implies a certain kind of, uh, of affection. A certain kind of intimacy. Lost sinners, they have no intimacy with God. No personal acquaintance with the Creator. They have lost his favor. They have marred the image of God uh, in, in them. They have lost communion with him. I, I'm reminded of a story that Pastor Joel Bique uh, told once uh, when he came to lecture us uh, a few years ago. He said that he walked into a store, a bookshop. Joel B, pastor Joel Bique is a pastor in America, a very famous author. And he was saying that he walked into a bookshop. And he started looking at the religious uh, section of the bookstore. And it was, I think it was a Christian bookshop. And he, he stopped uh, and he looked at one of his books. He picked it up and he was looking at it. I think he said that it was a, a new book that had just been published. It was the first time that he saw it printed. And he, he was looking at it. And, and the, the store uh, employee, the clerk, came, uh, came alongside him and said, Oh, that's a very good book. And he asked him, with probably a smirk on his, in, his, in, his, in his mouth, do you know the author? And the store clerk, he said, yes, I know the author. No, what, the, what he meant is that he, he, he knows something about the author. What, Joel, uh, what, what Pastor Bickley said is like, he did not know me intimately. He didn't, he, I didn't know who he was. He, he didn't know me truly. He heard of me. He, he knew something of me. He perhaps had spoken of me to his friends, but he did not truly know me. And in a sense, that is so often the case with God. We say that we know God, but do we truly know him? Do we truly uh, have intimacy with him? And most importantly, does he know us? 
Because in order to know God, it means that we have a knowledge of who He is, of His character, of His holiness, of His justice. We know Him as our Creator, as our Governor, as our Savior, as our Redeemer, as the one who preserves us, as the God of all grace. And But to know Him goes a little, even farther than just knowing Him uh, in these uh, preposition kind of uh, statements, it also involves having a deep enjoyment of his favor. To be acquainted with God is to be able to say, God is my father. He's my friend. He's my savior. This God that the Bible speaks of, he's not only just the God of the world, the creator of heavens and earth, he is my God. This kind of personal uh, sentiment, this kind of personal relationship that you can say, he's mine. He is my God. The God of the Bible, Jehovah, Yahweh. He is my God. To know God is to, to experience something of this love and this enjoyment of his favor. He was said of the Puritan Thomas Goodwin, uh, just after he died, uh, someone remarked of his wonderful life and the way that he that he behaved and walked in the ways of the Lord someone said of him well heaven was in him before he was in heaven heaven was in him before he was in heaven God was in him before he was in heaven and in a sense that is that has necessarily to be true of every single believer of every single per, uh, son and daughter of God in this world we have to have that same sentiment that the psalmist have, uh, had and, and wrote of. Who am I in heaven but you? And who am, have I on earth? And nothing on earth I desire besides you. What is the psalmist saying? On earth, here on earth I don't desire anything but you. I want heaven in me. I want to have something of that divine favor. To know God is to have constant fellowship with him. So the, you see, the knowledge of God that the Bible insists upon, it's not just a mere head knowledge. It's a heart acquaintance, a, a heart knowledge, a personal knowledge. It's a, the kind of being acquainted with God. When, when the Bible speaks of be, about being acquainted with God, it's more than being acquainted with his works. It's more than being acquainted with his words, with his ways. We can have all of that and not be truly and personally acquainted with God. Now, don't get me wrong. If you're acquainted with God personally, you will be acquainted with his words. You will be acquainted with his works and with his ways. But there are so many that have this kind of head knowledge and foolishly, mistakenly think that they have a knowledge, a personal knowledge with God, that they are on intimate terms with God, that they know him. As they know, they, they, they lack the knowing him as, as the Bible speaks about knowing him. True knowledge of God is a knowledge that you know God like you know your fellow human, uh, fellow man. That you know him and that you live with and for him in every season of life. That you are with him. Not only when just, sun, just when the sun shines or when the, the clouds are thick and, and dark. 
there's a, there's a little bit of both that you see sometimes. There are those who only know God and when he, only who walk with God when things are going really well. At the slightest uh, notion of, of uh, some crooks in their lot, as the Puritans used to say, they, they run away. They, they, they start trusting themselves. They start doing their own thing. And there are those when things are going well, they don't think about God. They don't want anything to do with God. But when something goes really wrong, I had the experience recently of someone getting in touch and saying, oh, I really need to start going to church. The Lord has really convicted me. And, and I just paused. Uh, unusually, I know that uh, for me not to say anything. And I just let the person continue what they were saying. And, and the person goes, oh, things have been really going really badly in my life. And that's why I think I need to go to church. Some people are like that. To true knowledge of God. Doesn't matter if you're in the summer season, the suns are shining, the sun is shining like today, or if you're in a rainy period, in the winter season, if deep and thick and dark clouds are around you, if you know God, you'll be with Him, come what may. You will bring Him to every single part of your life. There are no rooms in your house that are uh, out of bounds. There are no parts of your life that God does not have a part of. From the most important things that you do in your life to the most petty of things that you do in your life, God is there with you and you do it for Him and with Him. That's what it means to know God. Now I need to say this. In one sense, that which John Calvin spoke of is still true. God is infinite. God is truly, truly infinite. And it is impossible for the finite, our human brains, to be able to comprehend, comprehend the infinite. We will never be able to truly know God in his infinite youth. It is impossible for us. But that, that does not mean that we are unable to understand and to know him truly. I've used this example before, and it is a very fitting example. I know my wife. I've been with her now for, uh, for 13 years married, and a few more years that we uh, dated. I know my wife. I can say here truly that I know my wife. Do I truly, or do I fully un uh, know her? No, she's, she, I, I'm still getting to know her. True knowledge and full knowledge don't, are not mutually exclusive. And in one sense, we never know God. Yes, we never fully know, comprehend God. But in another sense, it is true what Christ said. That this is life, eternal. This is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God. So... Christ himself, he says, there is a means of knowing God that although we are not fully able to comprehend because he is infinite God, that we can know him and that eternal life is found in knowing him. So what are the means of being personally acquainted with God? Number two, this, is our, this was what it means to be acquainted. And now what are the means to be acquainted with God? The good news is that it is indeed possible. Christ himself testified of it. It is possible for man to be acquainted with God. It is possible. He testified of this. He spoke of this. And indeed he said that it is the only way to be saved. To know him. And to enjoy him. 
to experience knowledge of him. Not only the uh, Christ said this, but the, the apostles spoke of this. You read the, any letter, for that matter, in the New Testament, any epistle in the New Testament, and you find something of this. But most particularly, John, in his first epistle, he speaks of this on and on, that the knowledge of God is not only possible, it is a necessity, and it is accessible to those who seek him. Now, by this... John said, we know him, God, if we keep his commandments. The Apostle Paul, he, talk, he spoke much about the knowledge of God. He said that his, his biggest purpose in life, the, the one thing that he wanted more than anything else, the one thing that he pressed on towards the target of, was to get to know him and the power of his resurrection. The Apostle Paul spoke of the Gentiles that do not know God. Distinguishing between those who have saving knowledge and those who have no knowledge. Distinguishing those that are in Christ and those who are outside of Christ. The believers from the unbelievers. I know whom I have believed. And another way that we know that it is possible for us to truly know God is just by speaking to other Christians. A couple of weeks ago, I think one of the, uh, one of the themes was, uh, for the Sunday school was uh, the teachers were giving their own personal uh, witness. I know one, at least, that did. Uh, and that's, that is one of the ways that we know that it is indeed possible for us to know God. People from all walks of life, throughout the ages... Throughout the centuries, belonging to many nations, bearing many different passports, many different uh, races, ethnicities, while they differed in thousands and thousands of things, very little in common that we would have with them today. They all harmoniously, Christians have all in, in one voice testified as a fact of experience that we, you can know God. Ask any Christian. You can know God. They testify that they know God. And God reveals himself. We read from the Apostle Paul. He says to the Romans that God, the invisible things of, uh, the invisible attributes of God are clearly seen in creation. Being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power in Godhead. So they, they, those who do not know God, are without excuse. You do not know God because you're suppressing the truth in unbelief. But it is there. Look at creation. How is it that you can say that all of this, all the beauty of creation, uh, was nothing exploded a few, million, uh, a few billion years ago and created all of this complexity in life? It, it makes you inex, unexcusable. It makes you without excuse. So can man find God by searching? In a certain way, yes. The Bible says yes. That you don't need to seek him uh, through mystical uh, uh, searches. That you don't need to, to try and reach the unreachable. That you don't need, don't need to go into, into the uh, invisible darkness to look for him. He is clearly seen in the light of day, in the, the light of creation. You can know him. You can know him. 
You can know something of his justice. All mankind has something of a, a deep inner sense of righteousness and justice. Even the, world, the biggest of atheists. Ask even the most staunch of atheists. When something goes against his will, what does he say? That is not fair. Why do you say it is not fair? You don't believe in fairness. You don't believe in an absolute reality, in a, in a God that defines what is fair and what is unfair. According to your worldview, everything that comes to pass is just stardust colliding. There's no such thing as fairness. So in a sense, there is in, in nature enough to convict us of the existence of God. But alas, because of our sin, because of our sinfulness, we reject the truth. We suppress the truth actively, willful, willfully. Not because we were coerced to suppress the truth, because we hate the truth. We, co we, we suppress it. Our Lord Jesus said, whoever commits sin is a servant, a slave of sin. And, and what he means there is, is that you are a slave to your own sin. Your will is enslaved. The, Martin Luther used to talk about the bondage of the will, the enslavement of the will outside of Christ. Because of sin, your will is, is contrary to the will of God. You're not in harmony, harmony with God. In fact, you're in total disharmony with God. Whatever God loves you, you hate. Whatever God hates, you love. You love sin. You hate God. Even now as you listen to the word of God being spoken, you hate that this message shines a light in your heart like this. That's what it means to be a slave of sin. And worse off is that you're a slave willfully. Our Lord Jesus said that you do the things of your father. You're a son of Satan. You're a son of the devil and you love to do his will. The worst kind of, of slave is the slave that is a slave and is oppressed because he wants to be oppressed. Because those who were against uh, their own slavery, they would fight against it and they would seek to be freed. But the Bible says that we, because of our sin, we are voluntarily enslaved. And that is the most terrifying kind of bondage. For how can those slaves be set free? Christopher Love, an old Puritan. I know I'm quoting too much of the Puritans today, but bear with me. He said once, Unless the Son make you free, you are slaves indeed. Slaves to sins, slaves to your lusts, slaves to the creatures, and slaves to the devil by whom you are taken captive at his will. You see this in the, in the Jews, in the Pharisees of Jesus' day. They were religious they were the most religious people in the land. They were monotheistic. They were Jews. They adhered to every law. They followed all the Ten Commandments and all the 600 and something uh, other commandments that they had. And not only that, they were so zealous that they would fence around those commandments so far that, that some of them were even known as the, the, the bruised the Pharisees because whenever they were going up the street and a woman was coming down the street because they were, wouldn't even dare the idea of falling into temptation and looking at her with lust, they would close their eyes and historians tell us that they would bang their heads against the wall and be bruised up and that they treated that as a, a mark of their zealousness. And yet, they were enslaved to their sins. 
our Lord Jesus says. They hated the Son of God. They hated the message that the Son of God brought. So what is the means that we can escape this? It is by the work of the Spirit. It is by the enlightenment of the Spirit. It is by His work in our hearts regenerating us, teaching us that we are to flee from the wrath to come. The Apostle Paul says, For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When the Spirit regenerates us, He makes us aware of our need to turn from our sins, to acquaint ourselves with God, to look to Him for the forgiveness of our sins. And when we do, we find that it is very much a work of the Spirit to give us faith in the sacrifice of Christ. God cannot be approached. You cannot acquaint yourself with God through any other means but Christ. The atonement of Christ cannot be uh, forgotten, cannot be laid aside. There is no other means to know God. Jesus himself said it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one gets acquainted to the Father. No one has knowledge of the Father except by me. It is the sacrifice of Christ on the cross that does away with our sins. Because it, is, it was our sins that made us to be unacquainted, to be estranged from God. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, But your iniquities have separated you for, from your God. But your iniquities have estranged you from your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. So there is a need. For our sins to be dealt with first before we can acquaint ourselves with God. And God, praised be God that he sent his son to deal with our sins on that cross. He made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. God set him forth as a propitiation, Paul says, for our sins by his blood to demonstrate his righteousness. To demonstrate at this present time his righteousness. That he might be the just and the justifier. Of the one who has faith in Jesus. So it's through Christ alone the means of acquaintance with God. And there are other means. Prayer. Pray. uh, Plead with God. That he would. Through Christ. Bring you to, into an acquaintance with him. Pray to the Holy Spirit that he would reveal to you. That, you would give, that the Spirit would give you the true knowledge of God. That God would shine in your hearts. Through the word. God specially revealed himself through his word. He's spoken through the prophets. He's spoken through, uh, in these last days, through his son. And all of those words, all of those, uh, those, all of that revelation is given to us through scripture. Read his word. Go to church. Hear the word of God preached. Pray that God would shine in your heart by the spirit. And another way that we acquaint ourselves with God Last but not least, I would say, is by having fellowship with his saints. 
the body of Christ. By going to his house. By fellowshipping with the saints. You get to know God. You get to know something of his work, of his majesty, of his person. By fellowshipping with one another. But now quickly, what are the results of this uh, acquaintance with God? Number three. Having spoken of the means, what, the, what results do we have from this acquaintance? Well, this, the text here speaks of peace and goodness. When you acquaint yourself with God, you have peace, the peace with God. The condemnation, the estrangement, the, anim- the enmity that was between you and God is no longer there. You also have the peace of God with your conscience, with yourself. And here I, I hasten to, to, to caveat this and say that although you become a Christian, and yes, you are free from the guilt of condemnation, your conscience is cleansed by the blood of Christ, you, we still struggle with the flesh. There is still a sense that we have a constant war with the flesh, scripturally speaking. But with our consciences, no. The blood of Christ cleanses us in our consciences so that we might have peace with ourselves, with our conscience. And you also at peace with the will of God. When, God. when you acquaint yourself with God, with his person, with his work, you become at peace with his will. What does this mean? It doesn't really matter what comes and befalls you in, the li- in life. You, you've learned to be in harmony with him. You've learned not to, to push back against his will. You learn to appreciate even the worst circumstances, the worst providences as being good providences from God. It's peace with God. It's peace of God. Is that a peace that you want? You see, to know God, you see, you know God, and then you no longer have to dread his wrath, to fear his judgment. When you know God, when you truly know God and his love has, uh, has defeated your flesh, you no longer tremble to appear before him. You know that your sins are truly forgiven. You, you now hope in his mercy. You now trust in all of his promises. You now enjoy his presence. Because now you expect to dwell with him forever. That's why you have peace with God. The enmity that was there was taken away. The wrath that was coming to you was taken by Christ on the cross. So that now there is only fellowship, communion with God because of your union with Christ. And there is good. In this passage here today, although Eliphaz speaks these words uh, only thinking of outward goodness, only thinking of, of, um, of uh, prosperity in worldly terms, we know that is indeed true spiritually. That when you acquaint yourself with God, that goodwill comes to man. That was the promise. That was the, the proclamation of the angels when Christ came into the world. Peace on earth, goodwill to man because of him. And good does indeed come. Many a times it is temporal good. 
providentially good in our lives, but it is spiritual good as well. It is eternal good. The Apostle Peter says, As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by, his, by glory and virtue, by which, we, by which have been given to us exceedingly great precious promises, that through this, these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Is this not the good that we all seek? The good that cannot be taken away. The spiritual good, the spiritual treasures that God alone can give. Our sins pardoned. Our persons justified. Able to appear before his presence. To stand in the presence of the holy almighty God. Because we know him. To have our natures continually sanctified. In that sense, when you acquaint yourself with God, all evils are prevented. Nothing that befalls you is for your for is evil. Because all things work together for good for the good of those who love God or love Christ, who are called according to, to his purpose. Because when you acquaint yourself with God, you have fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And He is a good God, and only good things come from Him. And, it, and ultimately, it is eternal good. It's the, it's the knowledge that heaven awaits us. It's the knowledge that when this life is past, when we fly to realms unknown, as the, the poets, uh, the, the hymn writer says, we will be in his presence. When we cross that Jordan, we will be on the other side in the promised land. That we are his and that he is ours for all eternity. So these are the rewards of being acquainted with him. Peace, true peace and true goodness. And finally, as a, in, in closing, this pas passage also tells us of the time, the season, the need, uh, or the, the season and time for commencing said acquaintance with God. It says now. It does not say, well, maybe tomorrow acquaint yourself with God. It's not, it does not say, well, it's really not that urgent. Whenever you have time, when you feel like it, when, when things are going well enough that you don't concern yourself about anything, then start thinking about acquainting yourself with God. Don't delay it too much, but don't worry. It's not that urgent. It is urgent. It's now. It is now that you need it. There is no eternal life without the knowledge of God. And you don't know how long you're going to be on this world. So it says this is the time. It's not when circumstances are fairer or better. It's not when circumstances change. After I deal with, with my studies and, and uh, I've settled in, I got married. Or uh, after I dealt with this one particular circumstance that's really taking all of my concentration and time. I cannot just dedicate myself. I, I've told you a few weeks ago about this man who said, well, I'm, I'm not ready to become a, a Christian now because I want to be a fiery red hot Christian. And although that's certainly laudable, uh, that sentiment is a bad sentiment what is he doing he's putting off the most important decision of his life 
with an excuse. It is now. There's no better time than today because you don't know if tomorrow will be better. Today you have health. Today you're alive. Today you're, you're mentally uh, aware of these things. Today uh, is the day. And it doesn't matter if you're young. This is for the, for the, for the younger ones in the congregation. It doesn't really matter. The, the, the word of God says, remember now your creator in the days of your youth. No, don't put it off until you're older. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come, before you, you start dreading those days, before uh, you, you, those days come that you say, oh, I have no pleasure in them. Uh, this is just rubbish. While the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are not darkened and the clouds do not return after the rain. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. That's why God says in his word, today if you hear, hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. You don't know about tomorrow. But if you harden your hearts today to, to this message, tomorrow will be too late probably. Or can be too late. Your hearts can be hardened to such a point that, that, that your chance has passed by. You only have today. Do not boast about the tomorrow because you don't know what tomorrow will bring. So acquaint yourself now with him and be at peace. Thereby good will come to you. Do you want your sins, sins to be pardoned? Do you see yourself as a sinner? Do you want your sins to be pardoned? Do you want to enjoy this peace, this unwavering solid peace do you want uh, you, do you want to secure all these good things that come to you if you acquaint yourself with God Th that is what you need to do acquaint yourself with him reflect on your present condition it's really easy there's no three ways about it there's only two ways about it you're either an enemy of God or you're his friend one or the other you're either uh, a stranger to God or, or you're acquainted with him. No, two, no more than these two ways. You're either at war with God, and let me promise you, if you're at war with God, you will rise victorious every single time. Or you're in harmony with him. Working with him and for him. You're either in one state or the other. You're either reconciled with God, or you're uh, estranged from him. So I beseech you once again, heed to the exhortation, not, of, not my exhortation, but the exhortation of the Bible, of the Word of God, as he beseeches you. Be reconciled with him. Do not delay it. Do not excuse yourself. This is the time. Acquaint yourself with God, or go on in ignorance. And suffer the consequences of that ignorance. But let me just say a word for those of us who do know God. Those of us who are acquainted with God. Acquaintance with God is very much as I use the example of marriage. Of knowing your wife. Uh, being acquainted with God is very much a, an ongoing thing. An increasing thing. Ideally you become closer 
and closer with God. You become more intimate with Him. You, you, you start living in close proximity with Him as the years go by. So this word is for you as well. Acquaint yourself with God. Be closer with Him. Know Him more. Read the Bible more. Pray to Him more. Hear Him more through, the, through Scripture. Speak to Him more. Spend more time with His, with his, with his people. So that you may know Him more. And if you know him, speak of him more. There is no such thing. I, uh, I had a pastor when I was younger, a teenager. He used to say, there is no such thing as a 007 Christian. What he was trying to say, there is no such thing as a Christian who is a secret service agent. You're, you're secretly a Christian, but no one else knows about it. You, you keep it under, under wraps. No. If you're a Christian, you are to speak of him, to tell out the world, to, to plead with him, acquaint yourself with God, exactly the same things that we've been looking at today, to tell him you need to know God so that peace and goodness might come to you. Come with me. Come to church. Come and listen about the God I, I know. Come and see other Christians that know this God. That is very much our our. Our design. That's why God, when He saves us, He keeps us here. Do you ever ask yourself, why is it that when God saves us, He does, does, just doesn't instantly tran uh, uh, translate us to heaven or, or, or take us up there? Because He has work for us to do here, Christian. You know God, get to know Him better, and get others to know Him. Tell the good news of the gospel far and wide, in season and out of season. Please, with others, acquaint yourself with God. As Charles Spurgeon used to say, if others will be damned to hell, they, may, they, they are damned to hell, but they should go to hell with us holding them. And I'm paraphrasing here. Holding their legs, pleading with them to not go. I think Calvinism sometimes gets so much in our heads, this calvinistic attitude gets so much in our heads that we don't plead with others for their souls. No, plead with them. What else is there? As Jude says, pulling them out of fire, saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire. May the Lord grant us the grace to do so. And may the Lord grant us the grace to those of us who don't know him to be acquainted with him today, not tomorrow. May the Lord do so. Well, I, I did bring a, this hymn up here and we're not going to sing it. And I thought, well, I find, I'll find a place to, to read it for you. You won't mind if I take one minute. It's a hymn by Horatius Bonner. We will, will not sing it, but it's a wonderful hymn. He says, Acquaint thyself with God. Know thou his tender love. So shall the healing sunshine fall upon thee from above. Acquaint thyself with God. In him alone is peace. Rest for the weary child of time. The and everlasting bliss. Acquaint thyself with God, choose thou the better part, so shall his heavenly sunlight be the dayspring of thy heart. 
Acquaint thyself with God, he bids thee seek his face, that thus thy youthful soul may taste the sweetness of his grace. Acquaint thyself with God in Jesus and his cross. Read there that love which makes all loss, but gain, all gain but loss. Acquaint thyself with God in childhood's, in childhood's joyous prime, so shall thy life a foretaste prove of heaven's long summer time.